Cho, author of Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits. And I'm Clarabel A. Ortega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings, and this is Write or Die. Write or Die. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're happy to have you here <laughs> on our show. We're gonna talk about books and shit. <laughs> we are we're in weird moods today. We're in such a weird mood, but you know what? I'm not mad about it. As I was just telling Clarabelle before we started recording, I took an accidental nap. And when <laughs> and and you might think that I would be like, oh nice nap, but I got so mad. <laughs> because I was like I wasted precious productivity time. She really, she really got mad. She I got so mad, so upset. Um, I can't, I can't help it. Like, I just, I have things to do. I don't have time for, I don't have time for this stuff. Yeah, um, I get it. But it's, it's fine. Um, we'll, we'll pers- persevere. <laughs> what am I even talking about? Um, let me just ask you how you're doing, Clarabelle. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I had a very busy morning. I um, I almost like fractured something skating. <gasps> so I, it's oh, fine. I, I just have like muscle strain, like really bad muscle strain in my forearm. So mm-hmm. I can only really use my right arm comfortably right now. And getting ready is difficult. <laughs> so it took me like four hours to like do my hair and makeup and get like and like shower and get dressed because I had a presentation for this scholastic sales conference today, which was really fun, super cool. Got to talk about witchlings a whole bunch. Everybody was asking me to sort them. And <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. It was I so it. good. It was so funny. I did that and then I found out like some good news that I can't talk about that I already told you in oh, yeah, the yeah. group chat and and it's been good. I'm really exhausted. Like I just finished. Chat. I have one more thing to do, which is like an author's note for witchlings, which shouldn't take me too long. But like all my other deadlines are done for now. So I'm taking a couple days off and I'm so tired. <laughs> I am exhausted do you know when you have like a very busy couple of weeks or months and like once you like finally like sit down and like are done with things like all the exhaustion like all the like tiredness from like all the days just pile up on you and you're just done (laughs) that's how I feel (laughs) I'm like my body was like can we rest now can we rest now okay now (laughs) and I'm like yes now and they're like finally (laughs) finally you're free Ugh, no I feel you I like I feel like I've been I've had a lot of those days lately but at the same time I do think like maybe I just notice them more because like they stand out a lot in my head Mm. I don't know I don't know but um it's it's interesting too. I was, so I was talking I was talking the other day to Tochi, um, and he's been a guest on our podcast before. If you guys Tochi, who to is a Hugo podcast. Award nominated author now oh, as of it? today, amazing. I love Tochi so much because like his energy is so good and so pure, and it just mm-hmm. makes me happy. Like when he good does. things happen to him, I'm so excited for him because he's like a genuinely 
great person. He is. Ugh, he totally is. I don't know why I said ugh. It's great. <laughs> like when, it's, when you find well, you someone like that, you gotta that like. You sort of like, like combative, like funny banter type of friendship, right? So we do. We have like sense. a, we have a very like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, give you a hard time kind of a, a relationship because we, we know each other so well mm-hmm. and we love each other. I get but, that. Like, I get that. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So I was talking to him the other day because I knew that if anyone was going to, like, understand it and not make me feel bad, it would be Tochi. Mm. And I was just saying, like, I get, I'm so stressed out about how many different projects I have under deadline. Mm. And I was like, I feel weird be- complaining about it, you know, because you sound like oh you have too many books you sold <laughs> you know what you little baby <laughs> yeah like i'm so sorry that like you're realizing your life's dream sorry you're succeeding <laughs> yeah but suffering from like- success dot mp3 that is <laughs> su- suffering from success is a dj khaled uh album and every single time in like me or one of my friends <laughs> is like complaining about something like that we will send each other the album cover <laughs> suffering from success because it's so funny to do that's that. that's so good that's so good i actually love that because like it is it's so true like you you hear yourself at one point you start to hear yourself and you're like i'm insufferable but at the same time you're so stressed out you need to let it out somewhere more so money, like that's why you find those friends right who you're like if i said like i know that if i said it to you or if i said it to tochi neither of you would be like ugh, you know at me you would both be like i totally get it like Mm. are you drinking water are you getting your electrolytes like you know (laughs) um so that's like it's 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 a strange it's a strange land to live in it's a little it's it's like some it's it's oddly isolating you know what i you know what i mean yeah i get that it i it's like all of those weird like adages about like it's lonely at the top and all that weird (laughs) shit like it's a saying for a reason because not everybody can like you know if you're querying and all you really really want is an agent and there's somebody complaining about how many book deals they have it can feel like they they don't appreciate what they have but the truth mm-hmm. is it's just because like when you're when you are in a creative field the goalpost is constantly shifting for you and like the moment that you get an agent it's like childbirth like it, this there's like some weird thing happens in your brain where you forget all the suffering and suddenly it's like a whole new world and it's like I don't really remember everything about what it felt like to not have an agent because now my mind is so consumed with getting a book deal. Mm -hmm. And that happens almost like at every step, Um, which is not good because I feel like it makes you not appreciate what how far you've come. And I feel like that's not healthy either. So we should try to balance that a little bit more. But it is true. It's very hard to find people that are sort of okay with you being ahead of them um which shouldn't be because friendships should be based on like you know liking a person and not where they are in relation to you and your career mm-hmm. but publishing is like that it's just very complicated and i get it i understand and it's good to just be cognizant of who you're telling what to anyway because not everybody can handle it unfortunately um 
but I totally understand. Like having a lot of deadlines is a blessing because you that means you're getting a lot of work and that's the point. But it's also stressful because you have a lot of work. <laughs> um, both things can be true at the same time, basically. Yeah, but I, I, I feel I feel like whenever I, I for me, like the it's it's just a need to like get the stress out like in the world right mm. it's i i once had a coworker that said um it's healthier out than in mm-hmm. like when you have this like stress building up inside of you you're kind of like a tea kettle and the pressure is building 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 and you need to like let out that steam somehow yeah um so i that's how i kind of like to think of it and i think it's it's not so much as me trying to like fix a situation it's me being like i need to let the pressure out and i have found a trusted few that I know will allow me to do that and in, it's in a safe space and I'm not I'm hopefully <laughs> not burdening anybody <laughs> no. with it in the moment so that's just my like personal needs um in terms of like de-stressing you yeah. know yeah yeah and we learned about you stress right like there's stress mm-hmm. that's good stress that comes from having good things happen but they can still be overwhelming and like the thing with the thing with like good things happening to you or good things happening in your career and one thing that I've also seen is like when authors like let's say an author I have a friend who got a really big book uh, uh advance like a really big book deal and they still have a lot of pressure on their backs because they feel like they have to do really well and even though they know that their publisher is doing stuff for them, they feel like they have to, um, they have to, like, do, like, above and beyond in order to prove to the publisher that they were worth the investment. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, you know, and it's the same thing. It's like, I feel bad complaining because people are just going to say, well, you got a really big book deal. You don't have the right to, um you don't have the right to complain about something, but I feel like that's so unfair because more money, more money, more problems. No, more money <laughs> and, a, and a bigger deal comes with its own set of challenges and issues. And like, yeah, those are, it's great issues to have when it comes to like, you know, I have more money. That's really good for me. Um, but you don't know where somebody's coming from either. Like, someone who was poor and gets suddenly a big chunk of money the amount of stress that you feel in juggling and family members asking you for stuff and like not knowing how to um how to navigate it it can be really hard you know but of course people you can't you cannot complain about that in public without being torn apart. You can't. You can't. But it's normal. It's totally normal to still have problems. Like, all your problems don't disappear when someone hands you a check. Otherwise, celebrities wouldn't be in rehab all the time. Like, come on. I totally I totally agree. I think people need to give themselves a break. <laughs> Honestly. Like, people need to be less harsh on themselves. Um, I feel like we're in, we're in a place right now where like authors are really pressured to like have the right opinion all the time and be perfect all the time. And like 
pristine and present this like perfect face with the perfect opinions about every subject and be able to pitch themselves and promo themselves and it's just a lot it's so much pressure it's so much to have to deal with especially like like right away when you first enter um i wish we could just focus on on the writing um Mm. which which i we've both been trying to do right um i think you and i have similar goals in recent times i was gonna say weeks but i feel like it's been even longer to just like go back to basics christine album by christina aguilera (laughs) um and just work on the writing um, which is actually really exciting because we've both discovered or rediscovered some fun writing tools and, and we want to talk about that. Yeah, writing tools. <laughs> writing tools. Let's get back to basics, everyone. <laughs> I actually don't even know any of the songs off that album or else I would have started singing one of them. Back to basics? I don't know that. All right, let me look. Oh, I, I was wrong. looking too. What are these songs? Oh, it's the one with Ain't No Other Man on it. It's the one, oh, yeah. Oh, ain't all the man, and it also has Candyman on it. Candyman. Yeah, it's the one where she went full retro, man, and then she had a lot of acoustic stuff. Back, literally, back to basics. I don't love this album. I prefer. I don't stripped. love it. I, don't. I prefer. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, stripped didn't go with my analogy. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, Clarabelle, what are some fun writing tools that you've been using? Well, that was a great segue. Um, so I got this thing to, thanks to um, Casey McQuiston uh, called the Time Timer. And it is like a physical timer where you um, can fill in the time up to an hour. And it gets like red, like it fills it up with color. And then it ticks down and it can have an alarm or not. But I've been using this for my writing sprints, and I am obsessed with it. Um, I think having a writing tool. Oh, is that oops. it right now? That was the alarm. Yeah, you heard it. I was playing around with it, and it beeped. Um, <laughs> having a writing tool that um, that is separate from like my phone or my computer, because the thing is, when I'm working on my computer, the way that I work is I open. Like, if I'm doing revisions, um, especially, I'll have, like, two windows open on my screen, right? Um, And they'll be in full screen mode, so I can't be, like, clicking around on stuff. But if I have a timer that's, like, on my computer or on my phone and I have to, like, click out of that, like, focus zone that I'm in, I'm much more likely to, like, get distracted and go on Twitter or go shopping suddenly for no reason. Um... But having the timer along with like uh, my my planner that I use because I use stickers when I do writing sprints, it just helps me keep focused on just like the pages that I'm working in and then the tools that are like off of my computer and I don't have to click away from my actual words. Um, I'm obsessed with it. That's awesome. I love that. I mean, and it's really quiet, too. It doesn't make like ticking noises. Oh, that's good. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I love the idea of kind of going back to the a, a simplest tool, like a literal on your desk timer mm-hmm. instead of these like intense like it's connected to your phone and your computer and your Twitter and it's telling everyone on Twitter like how much time you know yeah, like it automatically mm-hmm. like posts Instagrams for you. I I think that it's sometimes the simpler things are the easier things. Like I have a lot of critique partners that still just do 
the like post-it notes on like on a board kind of storyboard mm-hmm. situation and it just works best for them it always has like and they know that like scrivener has a tool for that and there's like all these tools online these visual aids but just post-it notes on a wall works for them and mm-hmm. they stick to that and and i appreciate that and i think i'm a little bit like that i like learning about new tools i gotta say like in the past like four or five years a lot of the new tools that i end up learning about like i'll try it for a couple weeks and i always forget to keep using it which makes it clear to me that i don't that it isn't actually helping my productivity um and it could be because i'm using it wrong but there's something to be said about like if you feel like you can't get over the hump of learning a new tool then I don't necessarily think you need to waste your time doing that. Um, That's just me. And I think part of it is because like, I feel like every literal person in my life has told me to learn how to use Scrivener. And I just, (laughs) including Clarabelle. And I just don't feel like sitting down and learning it. And I've tried using it before. I even like took a bunch of tutorials. I even like sat on Skype with like two of my closest critique partners who love Scrivener and they gave like a detailed tour of like all the tools that helped them and it was so helpful and it was actually really inspiring and I was like I'm gonna do this and then I just didn't and yeah I mean if you're not feeling it then I don't think you should force yourself to do it. The only yeah. reason why I push Scrivener is because I love it so much more than Word for drafting, especially because like Word always is like really clunky and like it, the if I have like a really big draft, it will take forever to load and it crashes all the time. Um, and Scri- I just love Scrivener's tools, but I think everybody works differently also. So you can't, mm-hmm. it's not like a one size fits all type of thing yeah i just feel like if you if you started using it and using the tools knowing you and how you are i know that you would love it because of how (laughs) you organize you are with like certain things and how much you love spreadsheets like i don't know like i just feel like you would really like it but when i see you next week i'm gonna because i do like the the dumb girl's guide to scrivener like i should write that book because i don't know how to use like 98 percent of the program Mm-hmm. But the things that I do know how to use are, like, really, really helpful. And I don't go by, like, the way you're supposed to do shit because I feel like it's too complicated and I get overwhelmed. So I just made, like, my own methods for everything. Well, okay. I do like that. Mm. I like yeah. that. I, well, okay. So here's the here's my thing. Because I've said this multiple times before and I will keep saying it. Like, just because I don't like something now or I don't agree with an opinion now doesn't mean I won't agree with it a year from now or whatever right because i do think it's it's fair for opinions to change once you get more information or you change yeah the yeah but- I'll, I'll show i'll bring my laptop and i'll show you sort of like how i start a new project mm-hmm. and like how because for me one thing that is really like i forget stuff constantly like and i don't like having to look on multiple different documents but i keep all of my research stuff all of my inspiration pictures all of my character descriptions if i have a glossary of words or magic spells i keep it all in like this little book like the 
book Bible, I guess, on the side of it. And I put that together as I'm writing. And it makes it so much easier to go back and be like, if I need to use like a spell in a certain part of a book, oh, I can use this one because I already talked about it. Or this monster, like, what do they look like? I never described them. Let me make sure I do that. So it's just a way for me to like organize like my scatterbrained thoughts into one place and to help me sort of visualize everything as I'm writing. No, I get that. Mm. I mean, and I like that. I like the idea of that. I think it's kind of like I'm the type of person where someone can ex- can describe how they use a tool to me and I acknowledge like that sounds really cool the way you're describing it but Mm -hmm. I'm not visualizing it so then once I'm going into the thing and I'm trying to figure out what the person described to me I'm like I don't don't see it (laughs) I think if you see an actual like real life description of it then it will be more helpful for you and Mm -hmm. also the project target tool it's a small thing but it's so gratifying to like input how much you have to write and like have it calculated down by the day like I have to write this much today to hit my goal by this day and like being able to hit that goal and like see like the little um bar fill up um there's something really like I guess it's like gamification of writing in a way and it it just it's just really fun for me I love to do that um the only bad thing about Scrivener is if you screenshot the project uh the 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 project thingy and put it anywhere a million people will ask you what program it is it doesn't matter how many times you've said it in the past you <laughs> will get asked again trust that's, me that's that's fair okay I, I i am going to okay you know what i'm gonna say it on the podcast i'm gonna i'm gonna have the wordies hold me accountable i'm gonna actively try to use scrivener to draft my next book that i'm that i am under contract for um see how i like it for that because i do like the idea of using it for drafting I don't really get excited when I hear the tools that are there for revising. I don't get excited about those as much as I do about the drafting tools. So I'm going to do that. And then, Clarabelle, you can check in with me like a month after I start drafting to see if I actually used it well. (laughs) You can totally do that. And, And also, just so you know, I don't use Scrivener to revise. I use Word to revise. Um, mm-hmm. If I could comfortably use Scrivener to revise, I would be so happy because um, in in Word, I think, was it you the other day? I told you to, like, turn off your track changes. Like, that's a lot of times, like, if you're in a Word and your document's, like, not loading or going really slow or crashing a lot, it's because you have track changes and there's a lot of, like, comments and stuff in the document. And for whatever reason, Word, even though it's its own feature, can't handle it. <laughs> So, um, so I, I turned those off to like simple markup instead of full Mm -hmm. markup. And that helps a lot. If I could figure out a way to do all of those things in Scrivener comfortably, I would, but it feels overwhelming to me to do that. So I just do it on Word, um, even though it's not ideal, but, um, I know what I'm doing at least like it works and I know what I'm doing. So yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Mm. Um, okay. So I feel like this chat really was more for me (laughs) that's fine sometimes we gotta do that i will say if i'm giving advice on like a tool that um i don't know if it's the most useful more useful than other time management tools but i find it just like really fun and motivating for me um is that i really like the forest app 
And I've talked about this on like vlogs I have on my YouTube channel before. And I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's really simple. It's free. Um, it's literally called for like forest focus or something. Um, and you what pretty much what you do is you set how much time you want to focus for and you grow like a little digital tree in your digital forest. And if you um, and you can put yourself in deep concentration mode, which literally literally means if you exit out of the app what, before the time is over, then your tree will die. And I really like that because then I can't go on to Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or anything on my phone. Um, it's not for the computer, but, you know, it's a really good way of locking you out of your distraction apps on your phone. Um, and then you can also co-plant a tree with friends. So it's a way for you to do like writing sprints or focus sprints with mm. friends. Um, and it, if one person fails the tree, everyone's tree dies. Yeah. So it's like terrifying. You're like, I don't want to be the reason everyone's tree dies. Um, also, I will it, say, is, is, it is on the computer though yes it is Mm -hmm. um so you can do it for that too um i will say on the phone if you're on deep concentration mode i don't know if this is for every phone or just android if you get a phone call which is against your will you didn't choose that it does kill your tree so i got really mad and i went out of deep concentration mode which means i can exit the app um but i think the biggest thing for me is like it's fun i really get excited about the about growing my trees and when every time you grow a tree, you earn coins, and then you can buy cooler trees. Mm-hmm. There's um, ghost ones. They're so yes. cute. And, and so it's kind of like a gamify your focus thing, which works really well for people whose brains work like mine do, because like I'm, I'm super motivated by the fact that I can buy more trees in the future. And then there's also achievements, like you focused three days in a row, or your total focus time equals three days. Um, or like, you know, different types of things or like you, you earn six new trees or whatever. And I really want to win those achievements. And then the final thing that I really like about this app is that you can also use your coins to buy real trees in the real world that they will plant somewhere. Beautiful. So, yeah. And it's really cool because like you'll look, you can look to see how many real trees have been planted by forest users and you can see like the real time data and like the stories and stuff like that. And it's kind of fun because you're like, wow, you're like you're doing good things with your focus time. <laughs> you're planting trees. You're helping the environment. Yeah. So it's like it's a fun little app. It's not the only one that does this. There's like Habitica, but that one's like way more involved. I like Forest because it's for one thing. Yeah. Um, Forest is really cool. I also yeah. like it tons. <laughs> So yeah, that's my that's my um writing tool of choice these days. Uh, that's I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. That and then like my my new <laughs> my newest and favorite writing tool is my roommate. <laughs> um it's literally just like because she's always around and I can always have access to her. If I need to like brainstorm, I, I'll just like stand awkwardly in her doorway until she pays attention to me and be like, can we <laughs> talk God, about world building? You're like a sibling. I am. I totally am. I mean, I don't do it when she's like working, working <laughs> usually. <laughs> but it's nice to have a person um, that 
you know is just as into like dissecting story stuff as you are right um and it doesn't have to be a person who lives with you it's i'm just lucky because she lives with me um if i didn't have ashley i probably would just call clarabelle more than i already do <laughs> <laughs> i love that call yeah clarabelle but it's just fun I- like we talk about we talk about things that aren't even actively associated with our books and then like 30 minutes into our conversation i'm like oh, wait I can use this for the right work in progress. And it's like such a fun moment and it makes me so happy. So yeah, just like talk nonsense story stuff with your friends every once in a while. It doesn't even need to be aimed at any type of productivity. It's fun, first of all. And then every once in a while, you might have a light bulb moment, which is always great. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes they don't even have to talk back in order for you to (laughs) no truly in order for you to figure something out sometimes it's just like you talk about it and then suddenly it's like ah i got it bye (laughs) um don't some writers like go for long drives and they voice record themselves just talking about their books i guess i've heard that before or or like they'll just like sit in their office and they'll voice record themselves talking about talking through something and then they get to a moment where they figure it out and then they have their notes on this voice recording, which is nice. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Oh, I I've, I swear I have heard someone talk about it before. Um, and I also, I do know people who will do it like journaling, where they like are journaling out an issue they're having in a conversational style. And then like they have all these notes about like what they think about a certain scene and then they can go back later to be like, oh, yeah, I did think this about it. Oh, I love um, that. And then they can reference their old notes, which is really cool. That's really cool. I like I like that idea. We're so excited for today's guest. Uh, we have Sarah Das, who was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, a graduate of the University of the West Indies and University College London. She works as an office administrator by day and writes stories about growing up in the Caribbean by night. When she's not writing, she's thinking about writing or talking, <laughs> taking walks with her dashin. That's me too. Um, the only <laughs> thing she loves more than a lazy day at home is exploring new countries. Her debut novel, Where the Rhythm Takes You, a YA contemporary retelling of Jane Austen's persuasion, will be published by Balzer and Bray HarperCollins in 2021. Sarah, welcome to the show. Yay! Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. We're, ha- We're so happy to have you. And can I just say say um i'm not as into jane austen as other people but persuasion is my jane austen of choice so i'm <laughs> so excited for your book <laughs> in in the great um sort of schism between persuasion and pride and prejudice i fall on the persuasion end and i know yes. that's probably gonna get some controversy i'm just saying that right now <laughs> i mean honestly i just persuasion is is not I can't explain it, but like persuasion is the is is based on still like the same amount of like misunderstanding as Pride and Prejudice. But for some reason, the misunderstandings in Pride and Prejudice have the tendency to annoy me way way more. I don't know if that's good or bad. It just is. <laughs> I don't know. I know for me personally, I connect with it just because I feel like I I I get the characters more. Like they're they're quiet sort of burning like yearning (laughs) yeah that's more me than um you know fast talking and you know 
um, yeah. bantering and yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I feel like, I feel like people discount persuasion because it's the quieter book. It is. Um, yeah. Also, it's like, um, for me, I love the second chance romance trope. Oh, me too. Oh, you're speaking my language. Clairvaux, you can leave. We're having what? a conversation. Just Excuse the two of us me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I agree. The second chance love. I, I write a I, I write a lot of stuff where it's like childhood, you know, lo- like first love who comes back and, you know, very similar pers- to persuasion. Yes. And I love it when it's like when a novel starts and it just like drops you into the situation. You're like, okay, these two have a history. And yeah. now we need to learn what this history is and see if they can work it out. That I love that. I love knowing it's a backstory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then as you like see them interacting now, some of their backstory becomes uncovered and you realize like really how fucked up it was. And you're like, oh, okay. I see now. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, but I I just want to say like I also like I love the like how enduring it is that they're like brave enough to try again. Like even though they got hurt in the past, they're like, Yeah, I'm willing I love you so much, I'm willing to do this again, you know? Yes. That, that gets me. That gets me. <laughs> totally. Okay, well I'm like a thousand times more excited for where the rhythm <laughs> takes you now. Um, but let's let's rewind in time. And ask you about how you first fell in love with writing, how you went on this publishing journey, got your agent, and got this debut book deal. Yeah. So um, my history with storytelling uh, started when I was really young. I had a habit of memorizing the storybooks uh, my parents would read for me. And my father was like so impressed by this. (laughs) He used to make me stand up in front of like friends and family and like perform them from memory <laughs> like um and um like eventually i started like forgetting bits and pieces and filling it in with my own versions of the stories and <laughs> and then eventually just completely like making up stories on the spot in front of people um like uh, looking back at it now i'm like i don't know how i was that brave like kids like I don't know how I did it. Like, <laughs> are you a like, shy? Are you a shy person now? Like now, as an adult? Now, yes. Oh, yes. got it. Yeah. <laughs> Younger Sarah, though she loved the attention. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where her head was at, but like, <laughs> but um, yeah. So eventually, I started writing them down, and um, for a long time, though, uh, for most of my life, I think I've just been starting stories and then never finishing them. Yeah, like so, like. I have like maybe dozens, maybe hundreds of like projects that made it to like 10,000 words and then I kind of just dropped them (laughs) and moved on to something else. And then eventually it wasn't until I had graduated from university when like, like adult life was looming in the background. And I was like, okay, if you, Sarah, if you ever want to do this, um, author thing then you have to actually finish something <laughs> so um, for the next two years after I graduated I worked on a book uh, I call it my learning book and I call it that because it's the only way I can sort of reconcile how much time and effort I put into that book and how badly it did <laughs> because um, I did about 
at minimum like eight rewrites on this thing I lost wow. I lost count of eight and I'm talking like full rewrites um and uh, like it took two years like I mentioned and then I queried it and okay so I'm gonna describe this book to you guys and I want you to sort of think about Think about it like you would if you were an agent okay. um, in, um, in, in like 2016, 2017, like really 2017. Um, and the, the type of red flags that you would, <laughs> you might pick up on from an unpublished author. Okay. 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 Right. <laughs> I'm nervous. Okay. 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 2016, 2017. Um, new adult. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Science fiction with dystopian elements. Oh, Amazing. Yeah. One hundred and twenty-five thousand words. Wait, wait, wait. One, yeah, tw- yeah. one, tw- one twenty-five. Yeah, one twenty-five. Um, it ended on a cliffhanger with the promise of a second part to the, like it's part of a duology. Okay. <laughs> Even though the second part has not been planned out at all. <laughs> Listen, listen. I'm proud of you for shooting your shot, regardless. Uh, (laughs) So bold. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know why, because, like, I read all the blogs and stuff, and, like, I knew what they were looking for, but, like, in my head, I was like, this book is so good. Somebody's going to see see past all these things, and they're going to love it. Um, But, like, looking back at it now, I can see, obviously, it did need work. Yeah, um, and I I did eventually like revise it to be like below ten um a hundred thousand words, and I did like give it like a kind of an ending, um but it still didn't really go anywhere. Um, it, like it really like it really struggled through the court trenches. Um, I but like if nothing else, it made me like more resistant to rejection because like it was real bad. It was really really bad, <laughs> but. Um, while this was sort of like like going through the query trenches, I we were coming up to NaNoWriMo and I decided, okay, I need to pick me up. I need to just write something that's just for me um, to sort of take my mind off of this um, travesty that is happening. Um, and so I wrote a book really quickly. It was a contemporary book and it was, I said it in, a high school that was very similar to my high school in Tobago, mm-hmm. yeah, with all of the like the cultural, the Tobago um, elements to it that you know I didn't really see in a lot of YA that I read because a lot of the YA I read is set in America, um, in the US right. specifically, yeah. So while I was writing it, like it unlocked like something in my brain, and I was like, okay, so I read a lot of contemporary, like the vast majority of what I read is contemporary romance, um, the young adult and adult. Um, And so I love the genre. And like, clearly, I can write like, from my experience, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm writing it and I'm and I'm recognizing like my own, like, my own life as a teenager, you know, like, the little familiar things that I haven't really seen done in books before. And I was like, wait a second, why don't I just do this? So I cleaned up the book and I queried that one instead. And the difference was amazing. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like I spoke to my agent about this, like um, afterwards. 
And um, she was like, I think that's an indication that this is what you need to be writing right now. Yeah. 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 And so I queried it. Um, the response uh, was a lot better. Um, a lot of, I got a lot of full requests, but in the end, it was a lot of, we like your voice. We love the setting. We, lo- we think you're a really good writer, but um, the plot needs work. So around that time, we had pitch wars going on. And uh, on the very last day, um, the window to, to enter the competition, I, I decided, why not? I'm going to do a revision anyway, because clearly I'm on the right track. It just needs some more work. So why not try Pitch Wars? And I, I kind of just entered thinking, I'm not getting in. Like when the the um, the list was posted, I didn't even check because I thought, you know, oh I'm God. not going to be there. No, I, I, just, hate, yeah. I hate that. No. Yeah, Aww. I didn't even check it. It wasn't until my, my Twitter, Twitter mentions just started blowing up. So I checked. And I got in and um, my mentor was Lizzie Dent, who's got a book coming out, uh, The Summer Job. Uh, Hi, Lizzie. (laughs) Yes. And so a lot of people sometimes ask me, like, is Pitch Wars worth it? And I would say for me, it was because I feel like I learned a lot about how to work uh, with um, sort of edits on a deadline like that. And, you know, I learned a lot from my mentor as well as I think I that's how I built a lot of the writer community that I'm a part of right now. And like that is like the best part of the whole experience in my opinion, because like having other writers who are going through the same thing that I was going through was just like it was it made the whole situation so much better. And like all of us sort of like sharing our experiences and like consoling each other or cheering for each other and yeah so I enjoyed the pitch wars experience a lot the actual showcase didn't do a lot for me personally um uh I ended up querying afterwards and um one of the agents I queried had actually read an earlier draft and she had rejected it this is a draft before pitch wars um but she had sent me like the most lovely rejection letter like it actually I'd say kind of hurt more than the, more than the form mm-hmm. because it was like she described how much she loved it and like but in the end she passed on it and um so I I remembered her so I went back and I was like hey um uh, this book has been through a pitch wars revision are you willing to look at it again and she said yes and then a couple days later I remember exactly where I was because uh, I had a work uh, workshop that I was going through for my day job. And I was sitting like front row, uh, center of the room, like the instructors, like right in front of me. <laughs> and then my phone lights up with with like an email from Wendy and I see call oh somewhere. I'm just like, and I'm like holding it in because I know, like I know if I can't freak out right now, everybody will see me. So... <laughs> I had to wait until like like I had a moment and I could check it under the table and I was like freaking out in the middle of it. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if I should admit this. I don't think I took in a single thing from that workshop. <laughs> I don't blame you. I mean, it is hard to focus when something like that happens. Like, 
Oh, yes. and you work so hard for it. That's so that's so exciting. I love that mm-hmm. story so much. Yay. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah, so that's how I ended up with my agent and she's great. She and I um it was actually on one of the phone our earlier phone calls where um she and I were talking about retellings and she was like, you know, the romance in this book kind of reminds me of persuasion. And Persuasion is one of my favorite books. So I was like, yeah, it does. And she, (laughs) it does. I didn't even realize that. But she was like, have you ever thought of doing a retelling? Uh And like immediately, like ideas were coming. Um, So the next phone call that we had, I was like, okay, so if we're doing a retelling, we're doing a full retelling. We're doing a full rewrite. We're going, we're going um, full Persuasion. And I laid out the entire story for her on the phone. And she was like, <laughs> yes, do that. So Aww. for the next, yeah. <laughs> so for the next um, about a year and a half, um, I rewrote the whole book again. So it was a retelling. Um, we pulled a lot of the the setting and the voice and some of the characters. But for the most part, it is, it is like a completely different book. Um, and yeah, we worked on it. And I finished it in about, I want to say, just before summer 2019. So our last summer that we didn't realize was going to be summer for a while. Um, yeah. And, um, but it was right before summer. And I remember my agent was like, okay, I think this book is going to sell fast, but we don't want to run into a situation where we send it out to editors and some editors are like out, out on vacation or out of office. And then we kind of slow down the momentum. So we're going to wait until the fall to send it in. Um, and I was like, that makes sense. Let's try that. And um, so we used a couple months just to like polish it up and tweak a few things. And then early September, we sent out the book and she, she was like so confident in the book. She was like, don't worry, Sarah, this is good. This is going to be great. And I was like, okay, if you say so, because like, I have like, I have like watched the videos. I have listened to the podcast. I have read the blogs. I know submission is hell. So I'm going to prepare myself and I'm going to like um, start something new. I'm going to like just surround myself with, like comfort reads and like start a new Netflix, Netflix show and like, sort of create like a, a cocoon of comfort to sort of like wait wait it out because like I know myself and I know that I am a very insecure person and a very impatient person so like I am like protecting myself ahead of time like I'm hoping for the best but I'm really preparing for the worst um because as well, I know my book is like a contemporary and I know it's not as splashy as some of the high fantasies that were coming out. So I was like, I know, I, I, I'm just going to prepare, yeah? Um, so I did. And then we sent the book out. And two weeks later, I got my first offer. That's so quick. That is, I know. So good. I'm really glad because like it, 
even two weeks can feel like a really long time on submission. Like that might sound like that might sound like I'm making it up, but I promise if you haven't been on submission yet, like even if you're on submission, like a month, two months, it Mm -hmm. drags on because it's like, it's so close to the dream being realized because the agent is one thing, but the book deal it's like it just takes that one email to know the book is coming out now like for real for real and that like constant anticipation it's just very taxing so Uh so two weeks is quick but also it could feel kind of like three months (laughs) for sure i think i read through mindy mcginnis's blog like the whole thing maybe like three times just like comforting myself like yeah no matter yeah like this could still happen like so just you know um let me comfort myself with these success stories and like (laughs) um but I will say though that um my agent she actually emailed me the the good news because like she knows that when I'm at work I really can't answer the phone and Mm -hmm. as well as I I do prefer emails um overall so she emailed me and I saw the email pop up but it was just her name I really didn't see what what she'd written and um I was like it's fine I'll answer when I get home I'm sure it's nothing Uh, (laughs) and then I read it and then I was like this doesn't feel real and like (laughs) for a while it didn't feel real but it wasn't until like my agent like she emailed me and she was like so like no matter what happens at this point you have an offer Sarah you're you're going to be published you're going to be published and I just started crying (laughs) that's amazing yeah and yeah so and the book is coming out now uh well after we got the offer the um the same thing we were kind of worried about with with authors being on vacation ended up happening anyway went on vacation anyway um strangely enough I also was on vacation for this time <laughs> as well went on vacation uh for a bit um and we went to auction and the book sold to Bowser and Bray and yeah and I happened to be uh away from home at the time which just made the whole situation like an extra surreal because uh I remember at one point like because we were doing like tourist stuff um (laughs) I remember at one point being like in in a dark corner of a museum next to some like Egyptian artifacts like on the phone with with my agent and she's like how do you feel about a one book deal versus a two book deal <laughs> trying to work this out in between like her schedule and so on and yeah it was it was really weird I can't remember most of that week um that <laughs> that I was having like uh conversations with editors and so on and like yeah it 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 it's, it's a bit of a champagne problem but that situation is actually really stressful um, it is it is it is uh, because like you're talking to like well first of all like I mentioned I don't really not too fond of phone calls <laughs> but um like uh you're speaking to like editors who uh my agent is always like so this editor did um this best-selling book by this best-selling author that it I that I admire and I'm, I'm a fan of and so I'm like freaking out on the phone <laughs> um and yeah and also you know you have a decision to make and like it's a big decision and yeah it's very stressful um and I'm very lucky I had a great agent and she sort of held my hand through it and it worked out in the end yeah and I'm I'm really happy where I ended up 
I, I love it so much. And it's so funny because we were actually talking about how even things that are good things can be very stressful and it can Mm -hmm. be hard to sort of know who it's okay to complain to about those kinds of things (laughs) um but when it comes to being part of an auction and having multiple offers how did you sort of decide who was the right fit for you um well it, we sort of had like, okay, so first I had like different phone calls with each of them and um, my agent was on the call with us as well. So any, like any questions that I sort of like forgot to ask, she would like, you know, pick it up and um, ask for me and like they would come on the phone and they would, you know, they tell me what they like about the book, which is the best part of the phone call, <laughs> you know, sort of what, um, why they wanted it, to buy it. And then they would go into as well the different changes um, that they thought could be made to it to improve it. And I think that that played a part in it because um, like, like some of it, like definitely I like, it appealed to me and I was like, yes, I can see this. And then some of it, I was like, mm, it doesn't feel right to me. So that played a part in it. But like overall, like I feel like I would have been in good hands with any of them because they were all like really insightful, really brilliant. And actually in the end, I felt kind of bad <laughs> when coming down when we actually did make a decision. Um, so Wendy's like, this is part of it there. But I was like, me, me being me kind of feels bad about, you know, telling anyone like this, like in the situation where I would have been like, where I would have like been so excited to work with them under any other circumstances uh, to tell them no. Um, yeah, so yes, it was, <laughs> it was a stressful situation. But it really came down be- to yeah. It's such a weird situation to find yourself in because we do tends to place like editors and agents up on these pedestals, like where there are these people who are so hard to reach and so hard to access so that when suddenly that power dynamic is flipped in something like an auction or like multiple offers, you're like, wait, I understand. Like I get to make the choice. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's so it's so odd and no, and no one ever really prepares new authors for how that situation will feel. Um, I know multiple debut authors who had to like choose between more than one agent or more than one um, publishing offer and they always felt like awful about it. They're like, why do I feel horrible? Yeah, it's, it's like, a oh, bad you're a good person. <laughs> you're still rejecting somebody at the end of the day and we're not, we're used to being rejected, not the other way around. Um, I, I, well, I also think too, like that's a good point, Clarabelle, because I think like when you've been rejected so many times, you know how much it hurts mm-hmm. and you're like, I never want to make anyone feel the way that I felt for the past, you know, X, Y, Z amount of time. So it's like this weird thing where you're like so reluctant. <laughs> yeah. And like also, you know, this like at the end of the day, they always say at the end of the day, it's a business. Um, but like when you're on the phone with them and they're talking about how much they connected to the story and oh. And all that, it's like that makes it even harder because I gotta be like, yeah, no, I can't work with you after all of that. And yeah, so that is quite stressful in itself. Yeah, it it truly is. I, I will say though, because 
I I am friendly with some editors from my time being an editor that every time I talk to them about like books that they've lost they're like they're like I'm just like really glad that book is out in the world and gonna find a readership Mm -hmm. like because that's that's what they truly truly want like Mm -hmm. I a lot of the especially the young editors and especially the BIPOC editors that I know are like really truly in this for the right reasons because they're like I'm so sad that it I didn't get to bring it into the world, but it's going to be in the world. And that's the most important thing. And I'm always like, you're such a good person. <laughs> like, I always get really happy hearing that. Um, but it's very true. The choices made in Wicked Fox have had far reaching effects. And Myung's friends are about to find out the dire consequences. The forces that govern life and death have been upended. And there are supernatural entities lurking in the background that will stop at nothing to right their world. New romance and dangers abound in Vicious Spirits, the companion novel to the crowd-pleasing Wicked Fox. This contemporary fantasy duology finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House, wherever books are sold. Um, so Sarah, we heard all about your journey, which is super exciting, but can you give us a quick pitch about what Where the Rhythm Takes You is all about? Sure. Um, so Where the Rhythm Takes You, uh, like we mentioned, it's a young adult contemporary retelling of Jane Austen's Persuasion, set in Tobago. Um, and in the book, 17-year-old Raina, she gets a second chance at first love when her ex-boyfriend, Aiden, returns from abroad after a couple of years during which he's become a famous musician. And now he's back and he's staying as a VIP guest at the seaside resort that Raina's family owns and where she works. Oh so, yeah, so they have to spend <laughs> time together. And... Forced proximity, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so of course, the old feelings start coming back and um, and Raina sort of starts to look at some of the choices she made in the past and she has to decide whether or not to make some different ones for her future. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I love it so much. It sounds so good. I am it so excited. Amazing. I love it. And I love that, like, it's set in your like hometown I love that it's very obvious that you drew upon like really personal things for it um was it so like the book before even the book before the one that was like not necessarily a retelling of persuasion that was still set in Tobago right yes yes it was and that was like I really think that book sort of like changed my entire perspective on what I could write and Mm -hmm. what I wanted to write going forward and yeah, I like for a long I think it's it's something that I think that some um members from underrepresented groups could probably also relate to in that, you know, you don't see yourself in a lot of writing a lot of popular media. So mm-hmm. if you want to create your own um sort of stories set in these places, it's always a sort of feeling like how do I do this? Because I haven't seen it done before, even though you know, like you've lived it. 
Mm-hmm. You haven't really read it in, in the sort of medium, whatever it is you're trying to produce. Because um, you have like no, nothing to like compare it to. Um, so yeah, it's just, it was just a matter of once I started writing it, I realized I could write it and I kept writing it. Yeah. I love that. And I'm so happy that you were able to like bring that into your writing. I, I think that it's very true. It's like you aren't sure if your experience is going to be interesting to anyone but yourself because you've never seen someone write something like that again, which is so sad that so many diverse creators have to go through that hump. Um, I think the great thing though is that like books like yours coming out and like all these diverse books coming out are starting to create a foundation of the proof that like these books are necessary and they're exciting and readers want them and like to inspire people to like write their diverse identities into their books. Um, is there like a moment where you like or a specific book that kind of helped you over that hump like to be like, you know what I'm just going to do? I'm just going to set it in my hometown. Um, I wouldn't say it was one book. I'd say like like you mentioned recently, there have been like a lot more um um, writers from underrepresented groups sort of writing their stories uh, in like genres where we haven't always seen ourselves um, that much and so like just just reading that and seeing them do that sort of encouraged me to do it like mm-hmm. like it made it like okay so they've told their stories and people have been interested in them so maybe I can do the same thing um, yeah and I, I sincerely hope that um, when people read my book, they get more interested in like picking up other um, authors from Trinidad and Tobago. I sincerely hope that it does encourage writers to from Trinidad and Tobago, a lot from, hopefully more from Tobago because a lot of the stories that are set here are set in Trinidad, um, that they, they see that I did it and they do it too because I don't want um like readers to from other countries to like this would be like the only book they ever write, read set in Tobago if you know what I mean yeah yes like, because there are so many like my country is like so diverse uh, it has like so many like people here have so many different stories to tell so many different perspectives I don't want them I don't want someone out there to be like okay so I read this book. I completely understand what it's like to live in Tobago now. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want them to, uh, I, I hope that, yeah, I hope that there will be more stories coming soon. Yeah. That's so true. And and we've talked to, to a lot of um, BIPOC authors about this before, about the dangers of like being the single representation of your whole entire culture mm-hmm. and the pressure it really does put onto individual authors and how it's it's unfair to be honest like just because my experience with my diverse identity isn't the same as you know this readers or this readers or this readers doesn't mean that mine's invalid but it's also fair that a reader is really truly looking for something that they feel connected to when they're from a marginalized community. So if your experience doesn't speak to theirs, they can get disappointed. And then you have to be like, I'm sorry, but it's, I'm writing what I know, <laughs> you know, that kind of a feeling. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely important for us to have multiple 
stories in multiple books from these un- underrepresented cultures coming out. Um, I agree with you a thousand percent. But mm. I was hoping we could actually shift a little bit and talk about your gorgeous cover. I am obsessed with it. I could look at it all <laughs> day. It's beautiful. And so I was just like wondering how involved were you in this process? And like, were like, did does it fit what you originally thought? Like, all of that stuff. Like, how did this beautiful cover come into existence? Um, well, I didn't have as much input. Like, as well, they did ask me. So they started off like, hey, we have this, this artist that we're interested in. Do you want to check out his stuff and see if you like it? And they sort of linked me to Kingsley Nebechi's, um Instagram. And you need to check it out now, you guys, if you're listening to this. He is so talented. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. He's so talented. And I was like, yes, I love his work. You can, like, yes, please contact him. <laughs> and um, so he did the cover. And, like, honestly, I... I didn't even know what I expected, but like as soon as I saw it, I was like, "That's it, that's it." I love, I love the colors they they use. It wasn't like like who would have thought of like orange and pink, like, but it it, it works. It works so it. it's so pretty. It like pops off my mm-hmm. um, bookshelf. I love it so much. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really really nice. Um, I I was also like I have it open here, and I'm just like staring at it. It's very beautiful. <laughs> I would wear it as a t-shirt. Um. <laughs> For sure. Um, so you should think about maybe doing a t-shirt giveaway. That would be cool because I'm going to enter it 500 times. Um, um, so you mentioned that you do have a day job, um, as do many, many, many authors. They have their author career on top of another career. So can you tell us a little bit about how you juggle um, those two things? Like uh, when do you find time to write? Do you have like a certain routine? How, how do you make it work? Um, so I think that I am lucky enough that I can have that I have a day job where like, it gives me time to write. Um, it's, it's a very like involved job. So when I'm in it, I'm in it, I can't focus on anything else. But it's, it's like within a, a certain time frame. You know what I mean? Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got the I have a routine, I, I do the day job, and then I come home, rest for a bit, and then I do the writing. And that sort of routine is what keeps me going. Um, yeah, the, the one downside is like, it leaves less room for hobbies sometimes, like, because, yeah, because I have these days sort of very mapped out. Um, but I start, I started taking up gardening again, which has been great. <laughs> um, so yeah, but, but um, yeah, it's just a matter of also, you know, I don't have like kids and stuff. So I don't know how authors and kids like how they do what they do, because I couldn't imagine. so yeah in that respect the fact that I have sort of a routine set down is what helps me yeah that's really good yeah I I mean a lot of people are like how do you juggle it (laughs) you just have to find sort of like you know like a routine that works for you it's going to be different for everybody but yeah the Mm -hmm. whole hobbies thing is relatable uh definitely have (laughs) to take time to rest though um you have to I remember Jason Reynolds tweeted about like being intentional about like taking breaks and like mm-hmm. how important that was and I didn't really get it because like when you're first starting you're like whatever I just want to write all the time and then like you realize like oh no Jason was right 
I feel I like that's very often, often. Jason's always right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got to like schedule your breaks and schedule like the little little things that are not related to your work into, I think, in your routine. And I think that helps. Mm, for um, sure. Yeah. Well, anything like even even the most exciting hobby, if you're doing it all the time, you can still get sick of it, like if, no matter how much you love it. So I think like allowing yourself to step away from writing every once in a while long enough to like be excited to come back to it is really important for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I, between books, I definitely do take uh, I should mention I do take a break. I, I, I don't write every day. Uh, I'm not one of those writers. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. So like between projects, um, like say my my editor is like reading a draft and I'm waiting for feedback. I would use that time to sort of like refill the well. Mm-hmm. And like um, I just read books or I watch Netflix, catch up on all <laughs> what everybody's been watching. And I've been like completely lost in, in the discourse. <laughs> <laughs> And sort of catch up with it and um, yeah so I don't write every day uh, but when I'm on a project then I definitely do write every day <laughs> okay is there like a piece of of general writing advice that you have found to be the most helpful for you um for me it's it's not a really original but I think the most helpful uh advice I got and the one that has really helped me is just like when you're drafting to just keep going and not edit and not look back and like mm-hmm. just just put power through right from the beginning to the end uh, as fast as you can and just get it out and I think for me who had a problem with like finishing uh, projects that has been the thing that sort of has gotten me uh, to this point um, because like uh, I think as well as there's like a mindset thing of like you don't know you can finish a book until you finish a book Mm-hmm. And once you do that aspect starts getting easier each time um well at least it has for me yeah I really like that way of thinking about it I think I think even though yeah that's advice I've heard before I like the way you put it of being like you need to reach that milestone to know that you can because I I, th- I I know so many people that I've met along my journey where they were like I didn't finish a book for years and years and years and like I started to think I never could, and then when I finally did, I was like, oh, "Okay, okay, it's reachable. It doesn't seem such like such an unattainable goal anymore." Which I think is very common with lots of publishing goals. Um, it seems like so many goals in publishing seem so unattainable until you get it for the first time. Um, but that mental roadblock is so real because <laughs> so much of writing exists in our head. <laughs> So I like I like how you're how you thought of it. That's that's very smart. And I hope that people find inspiration from that as well. All right, Sarah, everybody who's on the podcast tells us their most embarrassing publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. You can do either or you can do both. It's up to you. Well, I feel like the story about my first book that I queried was kind of embarrassing. (laughs) I love that story so much. Thank you for sharing it with us. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give some um, something I wish I'd known. And like, even before I had like completed a book and I wanted to publish, I was like really worried that um, like agents in the U.S. or the U.K. because I also uh, queried to the U.K. as well wouldn't be like interested in me because I didn't live in America or I didn't live in the UK. 
um, you know, like they might see the fact that I didn't live there like as a deterrence or like my book would have to be so good they'd be willing to like overlook it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and uh, I just want to say if anyone out there is in my position and they are worried about that, um, I can't speak for everyone, of course, who's been in a similar situation. But uh, for me, that hasn't been the case. Um, like agents and editors just want a good book. And so much of what we do these days, um, these days more so than ever, is online. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not something, yeah, to worry about. Um, yeah, if you're like me, just finish the book. Finish the book, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's sure. Also, I can just add, though, like, um, like in terms, it is, it's in terms of, like, being an author, um, not in the country that you're publishing in, it can get inconvenient at some point some points like mm. in terms of like the mail which is always a problem <laughs> and um like um in-person events whenever whenever that happens I'm gonna have to figure something out um uh, and um yeah and taxes and <laughs> so it can get inconvenient and sometimes it can get expensive um so like keep that in mind but for the most part like there's so much that's done online, so you don't have to worry about that. Just worry about worry about your book and your writing because that's what you can control. Yeah, for sure. That is for really sure. really good advice. Um, Evergreen. And, and you know, I am. I do think that we should all be thinking about ways to still have virtual events, even after we're able to have events in person, because. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good both so that international authors can participate in things, but also people who can't, for whatever reason, um, make it to to events or can't afford to go to events. Um, it's just it's so much more accessible to to still have both um, types of things, and um, hopefully, it won't be a huge problem for you, Sarah, and you will still be able to. Um, to participate in a lot of things, I'm gonna bully people if they if they don't uh, keep doing those things. I, don't, I think it's really important. Like we've learned a lot of lessons about accessibility and inclusion, mm-hmm. and I don't want everyone to suddenly forget everything <laughs> the moment that we're able to have in person events. Of course, it's gonna be exciting to be able to see each other again and everything, but um, I do think that we should um, continue to sort of um to foster those like inclusive spaces and and be and be inclusive of authors that aren't in the US because publishing is so US centric um sometimes and we're missing out um so so don't worry Sarah we got your back <laughs> yeah i feel like i feel like publishing can't ignore anymore how US centric it's always been and needs to like face that head on and take accountability for that because it's, it is unfair. And it's also really a huge reason why so many stories are like Western centric mm-hmm. and like all about, you know, like the white American experience or whatever. Like, let's, let's face this issue head on <laughs> together. <laughs> so Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We had so much fun hearing about your amazing journey and your amazing book, which as stated, I'm so obsessed with already uh can you let everyone know where they can find you on the internet 
Sure. Um, I'm Sarah Das, author on Twitter and Sarah Das writes on Instagram, uh, sarahdas.com for all other information. <laughs> Amazing. We'll have that in the show notes and everybody go order the prerequisite 20 copies, copies right yes. now. Or Clarabelle's going to press the button to stop Writer Diary from coming to your house. Yeah, or else. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you again, Sarah. Thank you for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Writer Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Cat And Ghost Squad by Clarabelle A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, Wordy. And don't forget to spread the word. Thank you.